Hello, and welcome to the Complete Mathematics Podcast, Teaching Together. I'm Dave Taylor, and today we're joined by my Complete Maths colleague, Stuart Welsh. Hello, Dave. Thanks for having me. What are we looking at today, Stuart? Well, Dave, today we are looking at making comparisons using average and range. We've chosen this objective based on data we've been collecting from Tewer, and we found that less than 40% of, cor- of questions are answered correctly. This objective is in Unit 8 of Stage 8 of the Complete Mathematics Curriculum. You can access this objective and the whole curriculum made up of over 1,800 objectives for free at CompleteMaths.com. Before we get going, head to CompleteMaths.com forward slash podcast, where you can download the slide deck of tasks from today's episode. Once you've downloaded this, let's dive into Teach, Do, Practice, Behave with Make Comparisons Using Average and Range. Before we teach pupils a new idea, we must be sure that we're doing the right maths. If we're not and it's too easy or too hard, we run the risk of behaviour and motivation issues as pupils develop the idea that they're not a maths person or that they don't need to work hard, and neither of those two things are true. We can check that we're doing the right maths by assessing prerequisite knowledge. So what are the prerequisites for this mathematical idea, Stuart, and how are we testing them? Well, Dave, uh, this objective sits towards the end of a a block of work on understanding measures of central tendency and spread. And um, by following the complete mathematics curriculum, pupils will have worked recently on finding averages and and range from given data sets, but also from frequency tables. Um, I think it's probably worth considering that you know, a, a level of what some people would maybe refer to as statistical literacy is something that I feel pupils will benefit from as they enter into an increasingly data-driven world. And so I think it's important for us to note here that the focus in this objective is on working with and understanding these measures, and it's not just on calculating them. Having said that, the um, the obvious prerequisites here will be an appreciation of the three averages, the mean, median, and the mode, and obviously the ability to, to calculate or determine each of these But we also want to make sure that pupils have an understanding of what we mean by spread when we're referring to a data set. And so at this stage, we'll be using the range. But of course, this work is is laying the foundations for other statistical measures of spread, such as interquartile range or or standard deviation. So if you do have the accompanying PowerPoint open, then uh, you'll see activities on slide three and four. Both of these provide some practice of finding uh, the three averages, but they also dig a little bit deeper into the idea of spread and variability. Now, you might choose to use these activities whole class, maybe using mini whiteboards, but actually for me, I'd I'd perhaps test the group's ability to find the various averages using an exit ticket, uh, possibly issued at some point um, before we begin this learning episode. And in that way, it will give me a bit of time to decide whether I need to spend more time on the calculations that underpin this, this new idea. So I've just got two things on what you've just said, Stuart. The first mm. of which is that exit ticket idea, which is um, obviously the way that we should be looking at readiness, um, you know, giving, giving us time to respond as opposed to maybe in a do now activity where we throw a lot of questions upon the board, find out that the kids don't really know what they're doing. And then we've got a sort of firefight for the next 15 minutes. It's not really what you want is that you'd rather have a, a well-planned like learning episode so that you can, 
you can take kids through that journey. So doing that ahead of time sounds like a really good idea. And the second of which, um, I wanted to come in on on the two activities that we said about size three and four. Um, mostly the one where Chris and Robbie are playing shuffleboard. Now, we will get into this, I'm, I'm assuming, through like the teach phase. But, I, Stuart, can you tell me how many kids you might expect from a typical class of 30 that might have experienced shuffleboard? Um, so, you know, that's a, an interesting question, Dave. And I think that uh, you might you might find that none of them have come across the idea of shuffleboard. Yeah, probably. You know, my go-to has normally been archery. Um, probably the same kind of thing you'll find. Not, not a lot of kids will, will have experienced archery, but they'll, they'll probably get the idea of archery more than they'll get the idea of shuffleboard. But the problem that I have with an archery board is that you can be really inconsistent and still score all the same uh, scores on the board. Whereas with shuffleboard, you've got this linear progression through scores as opposed to one that goes up and then back down as you go across the board. Um, and so maybe there's a need for people to, if they're going to use this image, to uh, teach uh, people what shuffleboard is as well. Um, very valid point, Dave, absolutely. And I think as we go through the rest of this episode and these slides, we'll see that uh, there's a variety of contexts um, where we're drawing data from. And I think that's really important that, that we take these opportunities to um, explain some of these different scenarios and contexts that pupils may, for whatever reason, not be not be familiar with. I do like that shuffleboard example. So if, if you haven't um, had a chance to check out that slide, you really should, because a lovely visual there that um, helps start to develop this idea of consistency. So... Now that we've assessed prerequisite knowledge and we know that pupils are ready to learn this new idea, we're ready to teach. And in the teach phase, the idea is entirely novel to pupils sitting just beyond their current level of understanding. The teacher shares key facts and uses metaphor and model to explain and describe so that pupils can make meaning and form connections with their existing schema. So what might the teach phase look like for make comparisons using average and range, Stuart? Well, Dave, as you've just said, our aim here is to build on pupils' ability to calculate averages and range and, and to help those pupils understand how these measures can be used when we're comparing data sets. So we want to try where possible to build on pupils' prior experiences and to provide contexts uh, with which they should be familiar. So as we said before, that shuffleboard example and also the other slide earlier, the, the flower height example, those two could both easily form part of a teacher's exposition um, right at the, at the beginning of that teach phase. And uh, we can probe the class's ability to compare the data. What you might find, of course, is that uh, pupils have quite limited vocabulary when it comes to trying to describe what they're seeing um, in the data and, and in the images. And so that's where we can start to um, help them out with some more formal mathematical language that they can start to use to make sense of what they're seeing. Now, if we if we have a look at slide number five on the uh, on the accompanying PowerPoint, then slide five gives us a, a lovely selection of data in a, in a variety of contexts, really carefully chosen. Um, Dave, I think you you put these slides together. So there's a lot of thought gone into the way that this little task has been designed at the, at the teach phase here. And what we can do, we can help pupils see that making comparisons from just the raw data, just, just a list of numbers, that really isn't that easy, uh, but that using averages and ranges makes this much more straightforward. 
So some of the context that, that uh, have been used here, sort of test scores and, and sales, they tend to lend themselves to the idea of performance. Um, and pupils will be keen to say that one data set is better than the other. Um, but of course, that's not necessarily always the case when it comes to um, different contexts. And during the teach phase, we want to be very precise with the language we use. We want to encourage pupils to justify their conclusions. So for example, um, we want pupils to be saying things like pupil A performed better in their tests as they have a higher mean mark than pupil B, for example. Um, it's also worth noting, as I said there, that, that higher doesn't always mean better. And um, there's a couple of good examples on, on slide five there, including number of goals conceded. So we try and have a lower uh, a lower value there, lower average would be better for us. And of course, golf um, is a classic example where in golf, uh, what we're aiming to do is, is take fewer shots. And so a lower score in golf indicates a better performance. And I think it is really important just to, to underline that fact that we want to use a wide range of contexts to try and prepare pupils for potentially unfamiliar contexts that they might encounter. Yeah, um, for me, when I when I teach uh, making comparisons using average and range, uh, I'm very much focused on the fact that I, I don't really care about their ability to calculate averages because if I'm doing this idea, then I'm pretty confident that they can work out the averages. We should be now honing in on their ability to identify one single value to describe a set of data um, in terms of performance, like you said, and I always do talk about performance when I do teach this. And then that measure of consistency being the range, where obviously as we move through um, into GCSEs, we replace the range with the interquartile range. And it's important that pupils understand that both of those are a measure of spread. And then the interquartile range gets rid of the top 25% and the bottom 25%. And then we can really build up on, on a, a really solid understanding. Um, now, you, when you were talking there, Stuart, you mentioned about uh, comparing the mean. Now, when I do this, I always sort of tend towards the median because I see it as something that leads into comparing data using box plots, for example. Whereas you mentioned before we recorded, um, the mean's really useful here because of its link with standard deviation. Yeah, Dave, I think that's a really important point to to note because um, you know different uh, jurisdictions to different um, curriculum will will sort of weave their journey through. Uh, these these different uh, measures of average in, in a slightly different way, perhaps, and so there's there's also at the core of this the, the pupil's ability to uh, choose an appropriate uh, average for the for the data set that's given, and I think we definitely want to um, you know I've worked with pupils on the fact that the mean can be misleading. Um, and that for, for test scores, which is quite a common example, then the median um, is sometimes actually a, a more appropriate um, measure of average to use, especially if there's some um, uncharacteristically low or high um, values in that data set. But, um, you know, pupils, pupils, I think, probably probably default to calculate the mean when um, when asked to find an average because it's more than likely been the first type of average that they've ever encountered. And so we do want to just encourage that level of sort of caution and, and planning in pupils before they, they go straight ahead. The mean is, is useful because it does go hand in hand with standard deviation, as you say. Um, but of course, the median, then that's sort of the, the gatekeeper for the for the quartiles and the interquartile range. Um, and so that's that's something that we need to keep in, in mind when we're, when we're working on this maths. So transitioning out of a teach phase, we're looking for pupils to do, and that's coming up next.
Now that we've talked about the teach phase, let's talk about do. In the do phase, pupils are simply replicating what they've been shown and performing with this new idea. Performance is a poor indicator of learning, and we should state that in the do phase, deep and meaningful learning probably hasn't yet occurred. Now, the do phase complements the teach phase by allowing pupils to develop confidence and fluency in working with the new procedure. The teaching is responsive, and many models are examples to make stronger connections in pupil schema and to maintain pupil motivation. The aim is for pupils to be successful in replicating the novel idea before we start to explore the idea in greater depth. So what might the do phase look like, Stuart? So, Dave, um, for this for this objective, I think initially we want pupils to be making comparisons using pre-calculated measures of average and range. So by that, I mean giving them the values and, and having them make sense of them. We want to focus on the precision of, of the language that they're using and of relating these measures back to the given context rather than um, sort of Open, potentially overburdening them by having them do all the calculations as well. So, as I sort of said before, um, you know, I want pupils to be making statements like, on average, class A performed better than class B because their mean test scores are higher, or perhaps the median test scores. Um, however, the test scores in class A are less consistent than class B as the range is greater. You know, that that sort of fully formed sentence, uh, something along those lines, and. What I've often encountered in my career is a bit of pushback from pupils at this point. Um, you know, especially if we're asking them to to write down these um, these comparisons and these statements, uh, saying things like, you know, come on, sir, this is math, not English. Why are we writing sentences? And I think it's a really good opportunity to take that step. Um, beyond just calculating and performing procedures and say, you know, maths is also about um, you know, making decisions, making informed decisions and communicating those. And so there's a, there's a chance here to sort of see, let people see another, another side of mathematics to that extent. Now, on that, I um, tend to probably default to an example problem pair kind of format for, for a lot of mathematics teaching. But here, I think we, we maybe have a, a situation where I, I probably wouldn't want to be doing too much of that example problem pair structure. And rather, I see this as a as a sort of evolving conversation. You still bring many whiteboards in um, at various points here so you can get whole class response. But um, I think we want to, I think I would like to try and do something a little bit more um, inclusive where everybody's sort of involved in the conversation in, in terms of developing these ideas. So to sort of give an example of that, if you look at slide number six, on the uh, on the accompanying PowerPoint, you can see four questions um, which which sort of take us through this this process this uh, at the do stage here. In in the first two problems, um, you can see that pupils are given the values for the averages in the range, and they're prompted here to make a, a comparison. So we're, we're just getting them to focus on the actual uh, averages themselves and make those comparisons and. Pupils are are helped here. We're given they're given a scaffold of a partially completed sentence just to help them create that that fuller response, that more complete response. And on that same slide, slide number six, questions three and four, the last two, that sees them calculating the averages for themselves before making the comparison. Um, and then slide four, well, it removes the scaffold of the partially completed sentence and it has them writing out this full comparison themselves. So. It's almost like a sort of set of faded examples here, um, slowly removing the scaffold and getting the pupils to stand on their own. Now, for me, um, the teach and do phases um, are where we might 
choose to bring in some some verbal repetition or maybe even some whole class choral response. Um, so by, by that, I mean having pupils read aloud these comparisons, these sentences, I think is a really powerful and useful um, tool in helping them sort of understand what's expected of them. And actually, um, I have I have had le lessons where I've gone around the room and I've, I've shown different um, averages and measures of spread and and, and cold called pupils and, and basically said, you know, I need to hear your sentence. How can you make your comparison? And, and done that for every single pupil in the class. And I just feel that having them um, express that verbally is a, is a big stepping stone to getting them to the point where they can then sit down and write down these um, these comparisons and make these statements by themselves. Yeah, I like the scaffolding because, as you said earlier, we need people to be using correct mathematical language here. Not, oh, well, you know, like class A did better because, uh, because their scores are, are higher. We need them to be using proper mathematical language. So we can, I mean, we can use the mini whiteboard. You can start with question one and you can say, right, what's going to go in the first gap, right, on your whiteboard? Three, two, one, show me. Hopefully everyone shows Madrid. And then you ask, well, why did you show Madrid and you call calling someone? And they say, well, because they've got a higher median. And you go, great, that's good. And then you can fill in um, the temperature is expected to be least consistent in. And then we'll go with, um, you know, they'll hold that up. Maybe the kids this, this time say Athens. At which point we can go, actually, no, that's a common misconception. Remember what we talked about in the teach phase. We want, um, you know, the like least consistent, um, they have a higher range. And so maybe half the kids have written Madrid, half the kids have written Warsaw, at which case at this point we probably want them to say Madrid and Warsaw. And then we can we can do it that way. Um, you might want to use more than four questions, and these are just examples and, and just to... You know, to, I mean, you give pupils as much practice as they need, right? And like you've said, going through this with all the pupils in the class, doing this 30 times might be a bit overkill. But maybe we could do some think-pair-share here where we ask the pupils to think about what the data says, um, think about what their response would be, share it with their partner, so that's the pair bit, and then cold call on particular kids to, to share that. What do you think, Stuart? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Certainly smaller classes, um, you can perhaps get everybody to to sort of um, vocally give you an answer. But yeah, that think-per-share idea sounds um, efficient and still gives everyone a chance to to talk mathematically, which is what we're hoping for. So having worked through the teach and do phases and pupils have been successful in developing fluency, we're going to segue into the practice phase. In the practice phase, pupils move beyond simply performing and begin to develop more flexible knowledge of the idea. Through teach and do, pupils are now fluent with the idea, so we're now directing their attention to underlying structures, relationships and principles, bringing about strong connections with prior knowledge. We're looking for a well-structured and intelligently designed task that will aid pupils in forming links with their existing schema. So what kind of activity might the teacher use here, Stuart? Well, Dave, if you're looking for a well-structured and intelligently designed task, then uh, the one on slide seven is a really good place to start. Um, it contains a practice activity there where, where pupils are expected to modify a, a given data set to give better or worse average performance whilst either 
simultaneously increasing, reducing or maintaining the spread. Um, and even to say that is quite complicated. So there's a lot of thinking that's going to be required in this task. Um, you know, it, it's it's a good task because it links back a little bit to what we said um, a few minutes ago about the, the different averages and whether we'd want to use the mean or whether we'd want to use the uh, the median. And in this case, there's there's actually no instruction given on this task as to which average you would want to use um, in terms of measuring performance here. So, Dave, I think you've already said you would sort of be looking for people's perhaps to default to the median in this case. And of course, doing this task with the with the median as your measure of average is is arguably more straightforward than doing it with the mean as the chosen measure of average. So perhaps there's two tiers to this task and say, you know, you could go through it first using the, the median as your average and then perhaps, um, you know, extend that by trying to do the task again using the mean. But um, it's a great task. It really is um, because it reinforces the idea um, of making those comparisons, but it also links back to prior knowledge. You know, we're not just finding averages and making the comparisons. Pupils have to think really hard about the implications on the data if we are, for example, maintaining the range whilst decreasing the average. So a, a really, really great task to help pupils connect this new idea to what they already know. Yeah, so this um, this structure is called a more, same, less grid. Um, um, there, there are many of them floating around the internet, but you can find more examples at more-same-less.co.uk. Um, this one I did just throw together for uh, this podcast, and hopefully you'll take something from it. Um, but after pupils have assimilated this idea into their schema, forming strong connections between the novel idea and their existing knowledge, looking at them behaving mathematically. So we'll chat about that next. We deepen understanding through behaving mathematically, and if our aim is to develop mathematicians, then this phase is the most important of all. When behaving mathematically, maturation matters. In this phase, tasks are chosen from well-embedded and mature ideas that connect to the novel idea. A good rule of thumb is that this kind of maturation takes two years. So we're looking for pupils to transition from specialising to conjecturing and generalising, and through to analysing and reasoning with a related idea from roughly two stages previous. So for make comparisons using average and range, we've put together the task on slide eight. So if you load up the slide deck and find slide eight, uh, it's called a possible or impossible. And this is from foster77.co.uk. Uh, I think it's instant mathematical ideas is the bit that it's taken from. And Colin Foster's done a great job with this task. Uh, I'd seen this task a couple of years ago, um, and I didn't think I'd really seen the power of it until more recently. But what this has asked pupils to do is to fill in a, a set of data in each part if it's possible to do so. And if it's not possible to do so, then you write that it's impossible and then you justify why it's impossible. Now, Stuart, you've had a look at this before. Do you have any thoughts about this task? I do. I do think it's a great task, Dave. Um, it isn't one that I've um, used or done with pupils, but I can absolutely see the power in it because there's going to be a lot of debate that gets thrown up. Um, you know, for example, even just uh, you know, can we come up with a, a data set for which that there is no mean? You know, what what sort of thing are you expecting pupils to to do in that case, Dave? I mean, I think that if if we've been but like wholly focused on um, 
like numerical data in the learning episode, maybe there's a tendency for pupils to go, well, there's always going to be a mean, sir. You you just, you know, add them together and divide by how many there are. It's going to give you a mean every time, no matter what you do with the numbers. And maybe I'm looking for uh, you know a deeper understanding for them to say, well, what if the data was uh, qualitative instead of quantitative? Because you can't add together words and divide by five, for example. So that would be one where a pupil would write impossible um, if they were wholly focused on numerical data. Whereas if we were using data written in words, then we can definitely write that it is possible. Um, it would just be quantitative, quantitative data. I'm looking at the task, Dave, um, while you're talking there, and just some of those cells, um, you know, give a give a data set for which the range is the lowest value. There's so much, so much fun to be had with this. I would thoroughly recommend that um, people check this task out and try it with, uh, with groups of pupils. Well, that's it for this episode of Teaching Together. Remember that you can check out the entire curriculum that's over 1,800 objectives for free at CompleteMaths.com. We hope that you've taken a lot from this episode, and if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts, don't hesitate to get in touch on Twitter. My handle is at TaylorDear01. And I am at Maths180. Or you can get in touch with Complete Maths on at Ed. We're also available on email. I'm Dave at CompleteMaths.com. And I am Stuart at CompleteMaths.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on your chosen podcast provider and please feel free to pass the pod to both colleagues and friends so that we can all improve our teaching together. Until next time, take care. Mm -hmm.